0: Good morning. Well, my name is, if you don't know me, Ryan Jackson. I'm the associate pastor here at Harvest Decatur, and I was originally not scheduled to be standing here. Uh, Most of you, I'm sure, have seen the email that uh, our pastor uh, tested positive for COVID this week, and uh, so here I am. Also, I'd like to add to that, if you haven't heard, uh, Paul Roberts has also tested positive as well. Uh, Of course, our senior pastor and one of our elders, uh, both down this week, and uh, they could use your prayers, they and their families. And actually, I'd like to pause before we get started this morning and just pray for them. So would you bow bow with me? Lord Jesus, just said a minute ago, and it's still true, you're in control. This did not take you by surprise. We pray for our beloved pastor and his family. We pray for the Roberts family as well. I just ask right now for your hand of healing, your hand of comfort. Will you use us, your church, to meet any needs? And Lord, we trust them into your care. We pray in your awesome name. Amen. Well, once upon a time there were two evangelists who could not agree. They could not agree on whether or not to take another Christian brother along with them on their missions trip. One evangelist was diehard to take this Christian along even though in the past he had proved to be unreliable. But the other evangelist was dead set against it. And the argument, the disagreement, rather, was so strong that the evangelists parted ways and each went on their own mission trip. Why are relationships so hard? Why are relationships at times so easily fractured? Why is it so difficult to get along? This morning, I want to look at the book of Philemon. It's a short book, 25 verses, one chapter. I taught on the book of Philemon in our youth group back in June, and here we are this morning. I'd like to take a look at it with you. So if you haven't done so already, please turn with me to the book of Philemon, And I'm going to ask, would you stand, and since the book is so short, I'd like to read it and please follow along in your text, and let's read the entire epistle. The book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker and Aphea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant. But more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Let me give you some quick background as to the, the details behind this epistle. First of all, Paul is in prison. That's very evident from the letter. And it's, it's agreed and believed that this is most likely he's in prison at Rome around the year AD 61. He's writing to a man named Philemon. Philemon we don't know a whole lot about this man but we do know from the writings of the letter that he was most likely a rich man who allowed his house to be used for a house church and that was the way they did things back in the New Testament times they didn't purchase buildings or build buildings but they had church in people's homes and oftentimes a wealthy person who became a believer would offer their home to be used as a house church and that's what's going on here now Philemon lived in the city of Colossae. You might be familiar with the book of Colossians, another epistle or letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's actually believed that the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon were written at the same time and actually sent together at the same time to Philemon and the church. Something I want you to take note of, the city of Colossae and the city of Rome are roughly 1,300 miles apart. Philemon is a beautiful letter that deals with the issue of Paul returning Onesimus and mediating on Onesimus' behalf. Now, Onesimus was a runaway slave. He apparently, from what we can gather, he stole some things from Philemon and he ran away from Colossae to Rome. No airplane. It's a long way to go. Perhaps he hopped on a ship and whatever he stole, maybe he stole some money and paid his way to get there. We're not quite sure. But somehow, he made it all the way to Rome. And guess who he ran into? Paul, who was in prison. That kind of thing Just doesn't happen. So Onesimus had run away, and the letter of Philemon is dealing with is is the the issue where Paul is dealing with returning Onesimus to Philemon and mediating on his behalf. Because of this beautiful but short letter, we can learn a lot about relationships. This morning, I want to look at three ways to do relationships right. How do we do relationships right? Well, number one, we build into each other's lives. We build into each other's lives. I want to read the first three verses again. Paul says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Amphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church... In your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's evident from these first three verses that Paul and Philemon have a history. They know each other. Paul possibly even even helped plant the church there at Colossae, so he knew Philemon. He'd probably even been in Philemon's house, probably even taught and, and, and delivered sermons there in Philemon's house. It's actually possible that Paul even knew Onesimus from his work with Philemon in Philemon's house. Just so you know, Apphia was probably Philemon's wife. Archippus was probably Philemon's son. So Paul was very aware. He knew this family. He had history. He had built into their lives. How do we get that? How do we get history with people? How do we build into one another's lives? We might think that's an easy thing to do. But it's not. We might think to ourselves, you know what? If we just spend time together, we'll build into each other's lives. And maybe that seems right at first, but if you stop and think about it, you can spend a lot of time with somebody and not know them very well. Think about some of the people you might work with, sit next to, or work next to. Now, maybe if they talk a lot, maybe you do know a lot about them but perhaps you work with them for hours in a day, hours out of a week and you may know something about their work ethic ethic because you observe them. You may know if they're a great good worker or not. You might know a few things about them but how personally do you know that person? You could spend a lot of time with somebody and yet not be building into their lives. Not know them very well at all, really. So it's not just a simple matter of, hey, let's just spend time together and that's building into each other's lives. Actually, There's a couple of problems because, one, we have to have the time, which for all of us is difficult because we're all busy. Life is busy. But secondly, we don't just spend time together, but we spend intentional time together. It's not just a matter of getting together and going fishing, as fun as that is, but getting together and actually spending time getting to know one another intentionally. I once heard a story where a a youth pastor got up and he stood before a large group of youth and he asked the question, okay, who's got the most friends on Facebook? And the teenagers, you know, they were kind of looking at each other. A few of them raised their hands. They finally whittled it down to one boy and he asked him, how many Facebook friends do you have? And the boy said, over 4,000. And the youth pastor said, okay. Out of those 4,000... How many of them would you say is a real friend that you can talk to about anything that would be there for you no matter what? He thought about it for a moment and said, Maybe two. We have surface relationships all over the place. How many friends do you have? How many people do you know? How many names? Could you, could you pluck from your mind and say, I know this person, I know this person, I know this person. How many of them are real, true friends? How do we gain a history? We build into each other's lives. It takes work and it takes intentionality. Back in the summer of 2002, I I met with a group, I think it was about eight of us all together, students, and we went to serve this church. It wasn't quite a house church, it was a hotel church because they met in a little room in a hotel, but it was essentially the same as a house church. And we spent that summer serving together, and we spent that summer helping the church, and we grew close. One of the great ways, greatest ways to get to know somebody is to serve alongside them not only just serve, but to serve the Lord alongside of them. Several of you out there can remember when we had not planted this church yet, we were just families that met together and prayed. This is what we wanted. We prayed for this. And that was a sweet time. And we got to know one another. We learned more about each other. Serving together is an awesome way to get to know somebody and to build into each other's lives. And that's exactly what Paul did with Philemon. Serving alongside him in Philemon's home, teaching the church. I don't know what it looked like. Maybe they got together sometimes and said, okay, how are we going to do this? How's this meeting going to look? We need to work out the details. We need to work out the transitions. When the band's done, I'll get up and sing or get up and preach. However, they worked that out. But they served alongside one another. They built a relationship. They have history How else can we get history with people? Look what Paul's doing here. He's writing a letter, he's communicating. Communication. That's the biggest problem in relationships, right? Communicating. Now, we do that a little bit differently today. I don't remember the last time I actually wrote a physical letter. But phones, texting, email, dare I say, get together communicating, building into one another's lives. But there's some other ways I think we see right here in the text. Look at verse four. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. How many times do you thank God for your friends? How many times do you actually stop and name them by name and thank the Lord for that person? What does that do to our hearts when we thank the Lord for so-and-so? That unites our hearts to them. That, that, that bonds our hearts. That gives us the warm fuzzies for that person but not only that he says I thank you when I remember you in my prayers how often do we pray for our friends what does prayer do you want to talk about knitting hearts together prayer knits hearts together when you stop and you pray for somebody God works on your heart and let me say this when you stop and you pray for somebody that you may not have a great relationship with again God works on your heart and begin some changes in your heart. And let me take it a step further. When we pray with our friends, what does that do? That greatly knits our hearts together. How often do we take time not just to say, I'll pray for you, but I'm gonna pray for you right now? What does that do? That is a powerful way that we grow and knit our hearts together and build into one another's lives. Let me say something else. Recognize the common bond. Recognize the common bond. Verse five says, "Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, I thank you. When I, rem- I thank God, when I remember you in my prayers." Because I hear of your love and the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. There's a common bond between all the saints. Now you might be thinking, well, what's a saint? A saint is a believer in Jesus. A saint is not reaching a certain position of righteousness and being sainted. A saint is anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. You might think to yourself, I don't feel very saint like. Welcome to the club. Jesus Christ looks at you if you're a believer in Him, and He doesn't see the bad. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, You're a saint. There's a common bond between all saints. There's a common bond between any of us who have our hope and faith resting in Jesus Christ. Have you ever been talking to somebody, and you find out they're a Christian? And automatically, it's, it's, it's like something in your mind, something in your heart just clicks, and it's like, oh. It's almost like I, I'm talking to a fellow brother or a fellow sister, because that's exactly what it is. There's a common bond. You know, I can go right now, I can go to where all the, the pain and the trouble that's happening right now in Afghanistan, and I could meet a fellow brother or sister in Christ, and despite the fact that they're hurting, despite the fact that I don't know the culture or the language, there's a bond between us. And if we think about that and we recognize that common bond, that's something that helps to build into each other's lives. Finally, I want to say this about that. Choose joy over jealousy. Choose joy over jealousy. Look what Paul says in verse 7. For I have derived much joy. Joy and comfort from your love my brother because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you i have derived much joy and comfort from your love really joy paul is sitting in prison perhaps shackled philemon is free How many times do we we see something on Facebook that our friends are doing, or we see something that we hear about, something that our friends went to go do and we were left out of, and how easy is it to choose jealousy? How easy is it to, to to choose frustration? How easy is it to say, why wasn't I invited? How easy would it have been for Paul, sitting in prison, to think, I'm sitting here shackled up while my friend Philemon is out there preaching the good news and serving alongside the people, and he's free. How easy would it have been for him to be like, you know what, I'm jealous of that. Paul says, no, no, I choose joy. And when we decide to choose joy, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what the situation is, I choose joy instead of jealousy. Again, that's gonna knit our hearts to that person. That's gonna build, that's gonna change our attitude so that we have a better attitude and love towards that person. So build into your friends. Now, again, this takes time. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. And it's not just gonna happen. So can I, can I challenge you this week, pick a friend, and do one of these things that we talked about, either choosing joy, being thankful for them, praying for them, pick a friend. And do one of these things this week and see, how does it knit my heart to that person's heart? What else does it take to do relationships right? Have you ever heard it said, don't get involved? You know, maybe there's some kind of relational problem. Maybe there's some kind of conflict. Maybe there's some kind of work thing, family issue going on. You might say, what's going on over there? And don't get involved. Why do people say that? Because it's messy. It's messy. Relationships are messy. We have conflict. There's deep Deep conflict that could go back years. There's surface contact, you know, a slight between friends, a wrong word said. But there's conflict. And when things get messy, we need a foundation of friendship to stand on. And that's why I spent so much time on point one. Why do we build into each other's lives? One reason is so that when it's time, we can step into the mess despite people telling us not to get involved, sometimes we should get involved. Sometimes, if it's a matter of reconciliation, we need to get involved when it's a matter of reconciliation. Now, what is reconciliation? We think of forgiveness, and that's definitely part of it. We need to forgive each other, absolutely, and that's a biblical thing. We forgive each other for the wrongs that we do toward each other, but reconciliation takes it a step further. Reconciliation is not just I forgive you and I'm gonna go on with my life, but I forgive you and I accept you back into my life. And that is the thing that God's people need to do. I don't just forgive, but I welcome you back in your life. And I understand, depending on the the, the conflict, depending on the hurt, sometimes trust needs to be rebuilt. Absolutely. I'm not denying that. But we work towards reconciliation where I don't just forgive, but I accept you back into my life. And that is exactly what Paul does next. Look at verse eight. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." Paul says, I am bold enough to command you in Christ to do what is required, to do what is right. I'm bold enough to command you. Now, what would give Paul the authority to be able to command Philemon to forgive Onesimus? Apostolic authority. Apostolic authority. Paul was an apostle, a leader of the early church, just like Peter was, James, John, the disciples who followed Jesus, Paul was an apostle. He had the gift of apostleship, a gift that I would argue no longer exists among the church. There might be some disagreement in that, and that's okay. But Paul was an apostle. He did have the authority to command Philemon to do this, but he chose instead to appeal. He chose instead to be soft about it, you might say, or softer. Now, why in the world did Paul need to appeal at all Well, in the Roman world, remember that's the world we're in right now. In the Roman world, slaves were not considered people. They were property. Slavery in the Roman world was different than slavery in Jewish time. If you know anything about the slaves in the Jewish time frame, there was a period that they would serve, and then they were allowed to go free. The slaves in the the Jewish world in Israel, at least according to the Mosaic law, they had certain rights, they had certain privileges, They weren't just property. But when we get to the Roman world, if you had a slave, you could do whatever you wanted with that slave. They were your property. So Paul needs to appeal here because Onesimus has run away. See, Paul has a problem. Paul has a problem. Because under Roman law, if you came across a runaway slave, you were bound by law to return that slave. Under Roman law, you had to return that slave. So Paul has to deal with this. Onesimus he's run into. He knows that Onesimus belongs to Philemon. He's bound by law to take care of this. But instead of commanding, he appeals. Paul would rather appeal than command because he wants to preserve his relationship with Philemon. He wants to preserve that relationship. I mean, it's one thing. if, If you have somebody who's commanding you to do something, Say a boss, an authority figure. They have the right to do that. but Sometimes it just kind of rubs you the wrong way anyway, right? Paul doesn't want to do that. He wants to preserve the relationship with Philemon. So we're looking at how to do relationships right. And we need to build into each other's lives, number one. But number two, we need to pursue reconciliation we need to pursue reconciliation why should we pursue reconciliation why do we need to pursue that can I be honest because we're fallen humans and one of the things that we do good is offend each other I mean we're good at that I am great at offending people and I'm just going to be honest with you so are you We are professional offenders. We didn't even take any classes. We're good at offending one another. If you've known me for any length of time, I probably have said something that offended you. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. And I guarantee that you've probably said or done something to offend somebody else. That's who we are because of Genesis 3. So if we look at this text, Onesimus is the offender. Philemon is the offended. Paul's stepping in here as the mediator. He is bridging the gap. And that was the entire purpose of him writing this epistle, to bridge the gap between Onesimus and Philemon. Now, I have been involved in situations similar to this. I've been involved as a mediator. I have been involved as an offender. A number of years ago when I was still in, in school, I had a professor named Mr. Diffie. He oversaw the, the music um, of the school. He was the music director of the, of the school. And I was involved in an ensemble for a couple of years. There was six or seven of us. And there was one particular year that the, the, the student leader of the ensemble, he wasn't very great, to put it lightly. There was, there was some problems because of his... Honestly, lack of leadership. Now, I was a 20-something-year-old kid, and I took advantage of it. And just to give you some examples, we watched movies beyond the rating of PG. We weren't supposed to do that. We took advantage of curfew. We weren't supposed to do that, obviously. And I'll just leave it there. But there were some issues. And some of the members of the ensemble, they had a real problem, as they should have had. They had a real problem with his lack of leadership, but the problem with that is it turned into gossip. And it got spread around that Certain people in the ensemble didn't like so-and-so, and and this was happening, that was happening. So Mr. Diffie said, we're not going to do that. He called us all into his office, and all of us sat in that office, and we talked about it. And it was about as fun as falling down the stairs. But it was good. Looking back, I respect Mr. Diffie for doing that. He was the mediator there was offended people in there. There was, a, there was offenders in there. And we needed to talk and we needed to work it out. It was a good thing. So we pursue reconciliation. Now I just want to say here, sometimes you're going to be the offender. I understand that in a lot of relational conflicts, there's usually wrong on both sides, absolutely, but sometimes, somebody's gotta get the ball rolling and sometimes you're the offender. And if that's you right now, in some relationship, you know what you need to do. You need to seek forgiveness. You need to go to that person and apologize. Sometimes you're the offended. The wrong has been done to you. Can I state the obvious? It hurts. I know depending on the severity, somebody says something out of jest that was just a little hurtful, sure, that's, you know, a sting. Somebody gets in your face, somebody says something about your family, somebody fill in the blank, the pain can go very deep. Sometimes you're the offended and you know what you need to do. According to God's word, We forgive. Even if they never come to us and apologize. Our responsibility is to forgive despite if that person comes to us or not. And I know that is hard. But I want to challenge you if there is any relationship in your life right now where that is the case, forgive. And if you can't, turn to your Savior and ask him, I need help to forgive this person. Sometimes you're the offender. Sometimes you're the offended. Sometimes you have the delightful job of being the mediator. And I say that tongue in cheek. Sometimes God is calling you to mediate between party A and party B. Sometimes God is calling you to get your hands dirty. Relationships are, after all, messy. How do I go about even doing that? I think the book of Philemon gives us a good model for how to go about mediating if God has called you to do that. I would say approach that situation with caution. Approach that situation bathed in prayer. Approach that situation even going to somebody wise and asking, hey, I've got this, that God might be calling me to mediate and I need some advice and help here. This is not a situation we just jump in This is a situation we approach cautiously. I would say allow some time to settle, especially if it's a fresh conflict and party A and party B are still miffed or angered. Maybe some time needs to go by to settle before you approach party A, party B, approach them separately and share your concern. I saw this happen. I heard of this happening. I'd like to talk to you about it. I'd like to pray with you about it. I'd like to encourage you toward reconciliation, we approach that cautiously. And I say this, don't let your feelings get in the way. Look back at verse 13. Paul writes, he says, I would have been glad to keep him, that's Onesimus, to keep him with me in order that he may serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. See, Paul, he even says here, I have become like a father to Onesimus, he has become useful. And that's an interesting word. Look at verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. That's interesting because the name Onesimus literally means useful. And Paul's saying he was formerly useless. Maybe that refers to his work ethic as a slave. Maybe it wasn't very good. Maybe it's referring to the fact that he ran away. It's kind of hard to be useful when you're not there. But whatever reason, Paul said he was formerly useless but now he lives up to his name because he has been changed by the blood of Christ because Christ has done a work in Onesimus. In, in, in he now lives up to his name. He is useful and I love him as a father. Paul could have easily let his feelings get in the way here, and be like, you know what? I know I need to send Onesimus back, but he's doing me a lot of good. I'm in prison, and he's running errands for me, and he's making sure this happens, and he's making sure you know the gospel's getting out over here. Paul could have easily rationalized it away. I love this guy. I want him with me, but he chooses not to let his feelings get in the way. And sometimes that's true about us, especially if we know one party more than the other party. we're, We're inclined to maybe take their side of things, but when it's a matter of reconciliation. The point should be to bring party A and party B back together and not let our feelings in the matter stand in the way. Let me say this as well. Depending on the severity of the situation, we might be asking ourselves, why in the world is this even happening? Look what Paul says in verse 15. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever no longer as a bond servant but more than a bond as a beloved brother especially to me but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the lord so i would encourage you in if there's a situation that you feel god is calling you to mediate and you're wondering why is this situation happening it's so painful remember god's working god has allowed whatever to happen to happen for his purposes and we can take comfort in that. So people say, don't get involved. Now, sometimes that's true. Sometimes we shouldn't get involved. Sometimes we should. How do I know which is which? Just a couple of rules of thumb. First of all, if you know both parties, if you know both individuals, that is a good reason to get involved. If you sense the Lord working in you to stand in the gap here, then we should get involved. If you don't know one of the parties, if you don't know one of the individuals, I think you would be well advised to not get involved. You might try to approach that person, they don't know you from Adam, they're not gonna listen to you. Also, I wouldn't interfere in a situation of conflict between non-Christians. Because we can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians, Their problem is that they need to be reconciled to Christ and then to each other. So some rules of thumb there. I'm sure there's other rules of thumb we could come up with, but I just wanted to share those. So again, a challenge, and I've already said this, but I just want to repeat it. Who in your life maybe do you need to forgive? Who in your life do you need to apologize to? And is there any relationship that God might be putting on your heart to mediate for. Pray about that this week. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Number three, and how do we do relationships right? Be in your brother's or sister's business. Be in your brother's or sister's business. Be all up in their grill to an extent. Paul says, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Receive Onesimus, the man who stole from you, the man who ran away from you, the man who you own. Treat him as you would treat an honored guest. Receive him as you would receive me, the apostle Paul. Receive him that way. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I'll take care of that. I'll pay for it. Don't worry about that. Don't let that be an issue between you guys. Be reconciled. Be up in your brother's or sister's business. So this means if we mediate, then we need to follow up. If we're building into one another's lives, we need to follow up We need to be working on accountability. We need to be asking the hard questions. Paul was the person that God used to bring Philemon to an understanding of the gospel. That's why he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, which is, by the way, Paul actually taking the pen and writing with his own hand. It's, it's, it's believed that Paul's eyesight was pretty bad, so he had to write in big letters. So you probably saw a nice, pretty script, and then all of a sudden this big, awkward script, which that was Paul, writing with his own hand. He says, I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. What does that mean? That means that God used Paul. God, Paul was the instrument in God's hand to bring Philemon to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So in one sense, God does the work, but in one sense, Paul's saying you owe it to me because you I was the one God used to bring you to an understanding of the gospel. By the way, have you ever led anyone to Christ? That's an awesome thing, but guess what? You don't just lead someone to the Lord, hand them a Bible, and say, have a good life. Follow up, accountability, getting into their business. Paul wanted Philemon to be to honor his request, you owe this to me. So we owe it to each other to work out our differences. We owe it to each other to seek good, strong relationships. It strengthens the body of Christ. Paul says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. When we're working on our relationships, when we're resolving conflict, when we're forgiving that strengthens the body of Christ, that strengthens our relationships, that strengthens our witness to an outside world that treats relationships like old socks. Get tired of it, toss it out. Not the church. This is where we resolve. This is where we come together. This is where we forgive. We owe it to each other to work out our differences, we also owe it to Jesus. We owe it to Jesus to do relationships right. You know, the book of Philemon is a beautiful epistle about Paul stepping in the gap and mediating for two people to be reconciled. But you know what? The book of Philemon is also a beautiful picture of the gospel. I shared with you a few minutes ago, Onesimus was the offender, Philemon was the offended. Paul was the mediator. Let's just throw some other names in there. We were the offenders. In fact, put your name in there. I, Ryan. I was the offender. God the Father was the offended. My sin broke the relationship between God and me. My sin broke. Severed my relationship with God. And Jesus Christ was the mediator. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's not just a book that says, hey, you guys need to work out your differences. It's a book that shows us a picture of how the ultimate offense can be reconciled Through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the ultimate ministry of reconciliation. So we do him honor by seeking to be reconciled one to another. We're the bride of Christ. Let's act like the bride of Christ. By the way, if I'm talking about things that you don't understand, this Jesus and this sin and this reconciliation to God the Father, then I would challenge you, do you know Jesus. Is he your savior? Have you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ? And I would challenge you, if not, I would urge you, don't let this day get away from you. We have no idea how much time we have left on earth. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ, we sing about it every VBS. It's as easy as ABC. Admit the fact that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, and confess him. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, I choose you, I believe in you. You could say that prayer right now, mean it from your heart. And guess what? The Bible says your sins are forgiven. If that is you this morning, if you accept Christ this morning, would you talk to me? Would you catch one of our leaders? We just wanna pray with you. But get into each other's business Be in your brothers' or sisters' business. Ask the hard questions. Check up on your brothers. And it's interesting here. Paul says, earlier in the letter, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. I'm not gonna command you. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. I want you to be reconciled. And then verse 22, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. If I'm set free from this prison, I want to come visit you. Wink, wink. If I get down there and I don't see Anesimus, what happened? (laughs) Ask the hard questions. Follow up with your brothers. Follow up with your sisters. Relationships are messy. Don't be afraid to get a little awkward. We need awkward, to a degree. (laughs) A wise teacher once said, take chances, make mistakes, get messy. In relationships, that's true. Why? Because relationships are a mess worth making. Sounds like a good title for a book. (laughs) This means you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone sometimes. This means you're gonna have to make the hard phone calls. You're gonna have the tough meetings. And this also means you're gonna have to get vulnerable sometimes. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I'm not suggesting that we we spill our guts to every single person in the church. There should be a few people that we can do that with. We do need to be careful not to just... But it's important to get vulnerable. It's important to have those people in our lives. So I want to challenge you. Men, I want to challenge you this week. Check up on a brother. I don't care how you do it. Text, phone call, email, face-to-face, letter. Check up on a brother this week. Build into that. Women, I I would say the same thing. Check up on a fellow sister. Again, I don't care how you do it. But let's take that step. Let's make that a regular habit of ours to check up on one another. How you doing? And just ask the hard questions. Hey, what's going on in your life in this area? Let's be a church that builds into each other's lives, that pursues reconciliation, and that gets into each other's business to the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. So once upon a time, there were two evangelists that got into an argument over a fellow Christian. You know the story. It's Acts 15. The evangelists are Paul and Barnabas disputing over Mark because Mark had abandoned them at an earlier missions trip. And Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance, but Paul said no. And the disagreement was so strong that Paul and Barnabas went separate ways. Yes, I know God used them. Yes, I know that God had a purpose in it. And sometimes this happens in our relationships. Why do I bring this up? Because Paul brought it up. Paul is perhaps subliminally subliminally reminding Philemon that he too had to work, work out a relational difference. Look at verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. We know this was years after that conflict. And somewhere along the line, we don't know when, Paul and Mark were reconciled. Paul and Mark's reconciliation is a beautiful picture of how we as believers should do relationships right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good. Lord Jesus, you did the hard work, the hardest work of mediating so that we, your bride, could be reconciled to God the Father. We do you honor when we seek reconciliation one to another. Yes, we're saved by the blood of Jesus but we know we still got a lot of baggage and there are things that happen between us there are things offenses God forgive us God help each and every person in this room myself included to seek forgiveness to give forgiveness to perhaps even stand in the gap between two people Use us to your glory. We are your people. We are your bride. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.